Hello and welcome to Vegas Odds Football. I'm your host, Daniel Ocho. In this episode, I am going to be breaking down the NFC North. We are going to be walking through what has been one of the most competitive divisions over the last 20 years. I know the Packers have sort of dominated over the last three years, but I'm going to be going through uh, division totals, projected win totals, um, some prop bet picks for each of the four NFC North teams. Um, I know we had some sort of different episodes the last couple of weeks with our uh, tarot card reader, but I'm excited to dig back into some stats and sort of break down how I'm feeling about some of these NFC North teams and some numbers you should consider when betting on these teams. So without further ado, let's dive into our NFC North preview. Okay, here we go. I am back with the NFC North preview. We are going to start our preview with none other than the reigning divisional champions, the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are, as always, in the news. Last year, at this time, we didn't even know if Aaron Rodgers was going to be coming back to play quarterback for this team. But now, a year removed from Aaron Rodgers being a big weirdo, uh, we have a team that no longer has Devontae Adams. They lose Marquez Valdez-Scantling to the Chiefs. Adams obviously was traded to the Raiders, for any of you who may be living under a rock this offseason. Uh, Zadarius Smith, probably their best edge rusher. They lose him to the Vikings. In these guys' stead, the the Packers did bring in Sammy Watkins. They drafted Christian Watson from North Dakota State in the second round. Uh, They bring in two Georgia defenders, Quay Walker, linebacker, and then Devonta Wyatt, defensive tackle. Both players who are expected and sort of needed to make an immediate impact on this defense in order to keep it at that championship baseline that they've been pursuing over the last several years in Green Bay. So a couple sort of stats just to keep in mind when looking at this team and sort of thinking about where the Packers may land in 2022. First off, the Packers had the third best turnover margin in the league last year, and we know that in looking at turnover margins year to year, they're not really repeatable. You see a lot of regression in that statistical category. So a lot of times teams that are sort of more lucky or have a higher turnover margin, think the Steelers a few years ago who led the league in turnover margin, they sort of come back to earth the following season. Now, that doesn't mean that the defense is going to be worse necessarily. It just means that those turnovers may not be there because those are the kind of those fumbles, those interceptions. They're not necessarily a repeatable stat. So a lot of times in looking at the dependability of a defense from year to year, we look at other sort of ancillary stats like edge rushing stats, quarterback rushes, because those are things that are more repeatable because a lot of times you'll have less talent turnover there. And that's just less of a luck statistic, really. It's more of a Jimmy and Joe's uh, stat as opposed to something that is going to change from year to year. By contrast, an area where we may see some positive regression for the Packers is Packers had the worst special teams in the league last year. We're not just talking bad special teams. They were losing games with the special teams. It was pathetic, to be honest with you. And listen, they're they're due for some positive regression in that regard. They can't get any worse. It's impossible. So the Packers, in all likelihood, are facing a situation where they're going to improve in that area of the game. And if you look at the Packers from last year, they didn't have a lot of weaknesses outside of that major, major special teams weakness. And ultimately, we saw this team succumb to that weakness in the NFC title game 
I was one of those people who has doubted the Packers for several years now, and going into that NFC title game, I thought there was no way this team could lose to the 49ers. And, and the reason for that was because I felt that the Packers team from last year was more complete than it had been in years past. It felt like the natural crescendo of what had been a building process with Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, where they had all the pieces on offense, their defense was good enough to get it done, and you know what? Ultimately, it just didn't work out. I think that Aaron Rodgers and this version of the offense that existed last year, we saw it, its curtain call. We saw its last dance. I know Rodgers was posting a lot about that before the season last year with Devontae Adams, but maybe that version of the offense just wasn't something that is a championship caliber offense. If we look at it, maybe it just wasn't one that could work at, at the highest level because I think that ultimately... Rodgers became very dependent on Devontae Adams in a way that was detrimental to the team. So what I think is going to be the challenge now is to have Aaron Rodgers, who is a guy who's on the backside of his superstar career, adjust and try to win games in a way that he hasn't over the last several years. Moving on, let's talk a little bit about how the Packers are now going to be facing one of the biggest jumps from year to year in passing defense efficiency rating in the teams they're facing, right? They're facing the third biggest jump in passing defense efficiency rating. So why does that matter year to year? The reason is we're looking at a team that's lost a lot of their offensive talent in Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Um, I, I know they brought some guys in, but you can't really replace Devontae Adams with just a few guys. Uh, the whole isn't the sum of its parts. So... In assessing that, we're now also saying that they're going to be facing more tough, more efficient pass defenses going into this year. So we could see this Packers passing offense struggle. And I know that sounds like sacrilege, especially with what Aaron Rodgers has done over the last two years. He's back-to-back -back MVPs. This is a guy who's been a passing offense all by himself. But now we're looking at a situation where he's going to have to be the entire offense. If this Packers team is going to be a playoff team, it's going to be on the back of Aaron Rodgers taking a band of not necessarily superstars to a deep playoff berth. In looking at their projected win total, their projected win total right now is 11 games. And frankly, I look at that and I think that sounds just about right. Um, and the reason for that is this is a team that's won 13 games each of the last three seasons. Matt LaFleur, his baseline has been winning 13 games. So, what makes me wary of thinking they can win more than 11 games is I look at the Lions, I look at the Vikings, and I see those best teams that got a lot better this offseason. Um, I think that the Packers are playing something of a tough schedule this year. Um, I mean, if you look at it going into the year, they'd be projected to win, I believe, 13 of their 17 games right now. Obviously, that will change throughout the course of the year. But they're a team that has to go into Tampa Bay in Week 3, into Buffalo in Week 8, they play their share of cakewalk games. We're talking about two games versus the tanking Bears, home versus the Jets, home versus the Giants. Then they play the Patriots, the Titans, Lions at home, Cowboys at home. They have a fairly favorable home schedule. But I do think that some of their divisional matchups that are usually those cakewalks, like the Vikings, who they typically take care of business with, and the Lions more, more specifically, I think those games could be a little more challenging for them this year. So I sort of think this 11-game line is right. And I hate lines like this because they just feel too on the money. They feel like Vegas has really nailed it here. So my initial take in looking at this roster and looking at all the underlying metrics going into this year is that I'm staying away at the 11 line. But if this line drops to 10.5, I think I'm going to hop all over the over. And the reason is this just feels like an 11-win team to me. 
But I think actually what I would be more keen on betting than even the over 10.5 would be if I can see this line climb to 11.5. Because if this line climbs to 11.5, I am in love with the under there. And the reason is, this just feels to me like a team that is maxing out at 11 games. I don't see this as a 12-win team. I just can't get over the notion that the Packers won't be able to completely re- configure their offense in lieu of Devontae Adams, who has become such a central figure in that entire scheme. So now that we've sort of talked about the projected over-under win total, I, I want to talk about a few brief prop plays for this team. And briefly, I want to first talk about Robert Tunyon. And why am I talking about Packers tight end Robert Tunyon, who really didn't do much of anything last year? The reason's pretty simple. There's so many vacated targets in this offense. We're talking about 29 from Devontae Adams alone, then another eight from Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and then another four from Equinemia St. Brown. So what are vacated targets? They refer to targets that were provided to a player who's no longer within that offense. So they have to be sort of reconfigured and, and redistributed to players who are still within that offense. And why I like Robert Tunyon this year is that this is a guy who two years ago in 2020 was second on the team in red zone targets. He scored seven touchdowns. He had really good chemistry with Aaron Rodgers in the red zone. And as we know, looking at Rodgers' career, not everyone has that chemistry with Rodgers. It takes some time. It takes some trust from Rodgers. And we saw that touchdown end zone chemistry really form with them two years ago. Now, Tunyon uh, tore his ACL last year. He struggled before he tore his ACL. But I think coming into this year, he's a guy who has that sort of rapport with Rodgers. So one bet that I'm going to be looking at, especially early in the season, is I'm going to be betting a lot of Robert Tunyon anytime touchdown scorer because I think that has a good chance to hit um, and I think we may have favorable odds because I think very close to the red zone this year Tunyon's going to be a guy who Rodgers is relying on and who at the very least is going to be getting some of these high leverage looks near the goal line and for the same reason the other prop I love with this team is I love Alan Lazard over five and a half touchdowns you can get that at minus 120 I think on DraftKings right now Lazard caught eight touchdowns last year and we're, we're talking about 17 games now. Most of his production last year came with Devontae Adams out. But Adams is gone. There's, there's a lot of targets to go around now, especially those high leverage red zone targets. And Lazard was second on the team in red zone targets last year. So I'm failing to see why Lazard wouldn't just slot into that role, uh, catching those touchdowns and really just providing the Packers with a necessary red zone threat that they seem to be lacking on paper as we look at this team going into the year. If he's healthy, I see Lazard easily going over this five and a half total, uh, maybe closer to 10 or 11 touchdowns if things break right for him. But that's a big if. I mean, we know that we can't bank on injuries when we're talking about these things. So let's move on now to the Detroit Lions. The Lions projected win total of six and a half games. Who's gone? They lose Trey Flowers on the edge. The story of the Lions this year is not about who they lost. It's about who they brought in. They brought in free agent DJ Chark, who he's not a world beater. We know who DJ Chark is. He's a commendable, useful X receiver, but he's not a superstar that we may have thought he was that first season when he sort of burst onto the scene. But they also bring in two first round picks who are blue chip superstar prospects. Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan guy on the edge, and then Jamison Williams uh, from Alabama, wide receiver, recovering from that ACL tear in the national championship. The Lions invested in the draft. They're bringing in two superstars who, who I think they're going to bring along relatively slowly in Jameson Williams case. But this is a team that's sort of going through one of those rapid rebuilds where they brought in a lot of talent. 
I'm pretty confident in their coaching staff in terms of what Dan Campbell has done. I, I was really happy to see how that team really scrapped and clawed last year, especially when they started 0-8. Before I even looked at some of the underlying gambling metrics for this team, I felt watching this team last year that this was a team that just had so much heart. And fortunately, the stats seemed to back that up. This was a team that was 11-6 and against the spread last year, despite being an underdog in every single game, all 17 games. And that is tied for the best record against the spread for a team that's been an underdog in every game of all time. So they clearly had a lot of heart. I think that they're going into this year with a much easier schedule. According to Sharp Football Analysis, they released this incredible sort of breakdown of all these advanced metrics in terms of football gambling. But according to Sharp Football, the Lions are going from facing the fifth toughest schedule last year to facing the fifth easiest this year. So that's quite the jump, obviously. And I think when looking at the Lions, we really have to separate the season from the beginning to the end, right? They started 0-8. They really didn't have a lot of fight in them. They were sort of staying in games, but they couldn't move the ball. They were sort of pathetic on offense. Dan Campbell eventually takes over play calling from Anthony Lynn, and all of a sudden we see Jared Goff steadily improving. I've mentioned it before on this show, but Jared Goff was better than Kyler Murray at the end of last year in the second half. So, this is a guy who I think that myself included, people have written off in Jared Goff, uh, but Jared Goff improved as a passer last year. And not only that, Dan Campbell really did a lot to sort of maximize what Goff does well. And that's sort of getting the ball out quickly when he's operating well and really using the intermediate and short part of the field. So no quarterback last year attempted less passes of 10 yards or longer, so, so deeper intermediate passes, than Jared Goff. This was a guy who really in the short yardage was thriving. 25.6% of all his passes were less than 10 yards. Uh, he was a short yard sort of operator. He averages 6.3 air yards per attempt, which was, I think, last in the NFL. He was relying heavily on DeAndre Swift early in the season and then sort of transitioned to the sun god, Amon Ross St. Brown, as DeAndre Swift missed time at the end of the year. And in doing so, Goff sort of unlocked something that I didn't really know he had. He was able to become a really competent game manager in a way that I think lends itself to a good situation for the Lions because, as we know, they're sort of building something that's not supposed to turn around this year or next year. I think the Lions may be in a situation where they're pretty good this year. They're pretty competitive, and I wouldn't be surprised, and, and when I'm looking at the 6.5 win total, I think this is a team that's going to go over that 6.5 win total. I am very high on the Lions this year. I believe in the infrastructure that Dan Campbell's been putting together. I believe that easier scheduling and maybe a little bit of luck in terms of developing this offensive talent and, and some breaks to the ball, fumble or interception wise could lead this team to a seven win season. I want to talk briefly about some of the props for this team. I mentioned the sun god Amon Ra St. Brown. I see right now his projected reception total is over under 78 and a half receptions. And I look at this number and it doesn't make sense to me, right? Because look at how Amon Ra St. Brown ended uh, his, his season last year. In his last six games, these were his reception totals. 10, 8, 8, 9, 8, 8. He called for 90 receptions last year as a rookie. I need somebody to explain to me why he's being projected for only 78 and a half total receptions. It feels like they're overcompensating for Jameson Williams, maybe stepping into this offense as a superstar. But Jameson Williams is coming back from an ACL tear in like January. I'm not expecting this guy as a rookie and as a guy who's recovering from an ACL tear to immediately come in and demand a massive target share. I know that Amon Ra sort of burst out after TJ Hawkinson, the tight end, had been sidelined, but I still am pretty confident that 
Amon Ra really unlocked something in this offense last year, and I think that the Lions would be foolish to sort of go away from that. So that's why I'm hammering the over on this. I am so all over the over on 78.5 receptions for Amon Ra St. Brown, because even if I don't think he's going to necessarily replicate the massive success he had at the end of the year, I think that he's really carved out a role for himself as this stick-moving receiver within this offense. Finally, the last prop I want to talk about with regard to the Lions is DeAndre Swift under 850.5 rushing yards. And the reason I'm not high on DeAndre Swift for going over this number is really pretty simple. Player props more often than not go under. It's sort of that simple due to injuries or changing roles within an offense. The under is usually the good bet to make. It's not fun. Betting that a guy's going to go under his yard total, touchdown total, whatever it is, you want to see touchdowns, you want to see yards, you want to see these guys succeed. Between lingering injury issues that are always sort of a thing with DeAndre Swift and the continued presence of Jamal Williams in Detroit, I just don't see DeAndre Swift getting the volume to put him over this 850-yard rushing mark. I am appreciative of what DeAndre Swift is as a multifaceted bat, right? I think he's a very talented receiver. And ultimately, if he does slot back into that receiving role that he had early in the season, that may torpedo the Amon Ra reception total bet that, that I just sort of mentioned. But I just don't think, looking at DeAndre Swift, that the Lions see him as a guy who is going to be a 1,000-yard rusher, is going to be someone who wants to get that volume that will take him to that 900 to 1,000-yard area. So I'm under on his 850 rushing yard total. Let's move on now to the Chicago Bears. Let's run through the Bears quickly because this team is god-awful. They are projected six and a half wins, um, which is unbelievable to me that they're projected the same as the Lions because... To me, I look at this team, and I think it is a dumpster fire. So who's gone? First off, Matt Nagy is no longer committing football malpractice every week. Khalil Mack has been traded to the Chargers. Akeem Nix is gone. Eddie Goldman's gone. Their defense lost a lot of its depth. Um, Robert Quinn's still there, but he could be flipped. Uh, This team is resetting. It's hard not to look at this roster and think this is a team that doesn't know who it is, what it's doing. Uh, they, they lose James Daniels, the offensive lineman, to my Steelers. Allen Robinson, even though he basically quit on the team, they, they lose him to the Rams. They didn't do really much of anything to improve one of the worst offensive lines in the league, which I find sort of baffling. Uh, you have a rookie quarterback, a young quarterback, who you may, may be your franchise cornerstone, and you don't really do anything to bring in offensive line help or receiver help to support him. It seems like this is a team that's following the Jets playbook with Sam Darnold and Adam Gase from a few years ago, which is not the playbook you want to follow unless you're trying to speed run how to lose your job. So in terms of who's coming in now, they have Matt Berfalis. He's the defensive-minded head coach, former defensive coordinator for the Colts. Um, they didn't have much draft capital this year, so they used two second-round picks to sort of rebuild their secondary on cornerback Kyler Gordon and safety Jaquan Brisker. So looking at this team, I see a schedule that's going to be much easier than last year. They're facing the fourth easiest schedule per estimated value, according to Sharp Football, as opposed to the ninth hardest that they've played last year. So those are some metrics that sort of lend themselves to maybe a more successful year, but just from a pure roster construction standpoint, I don't understand how anyone could look at this team and tell me this is a seven-win team. I think that people are unfairly writing off Justin Fields. And the reason is that I think that Justin Fields is really just catching too much flack for what was ultimately a complete failure on the part of the coaching staff of the Bears last year to set him up for success in any meaningful way. 
Justin Fields played one of the worst football games I've ever seen. His debut was truly an abomination. I think he threw for like four passing yards in the entire game. The thing is, the coaching staff didn't really highlight anything that he does well. He holds the ball a long time. He did that in college, and he processes the field really well. So part of the thing that they could have done, at least, was put him on some rollouts, use his athleticism to allow him to process the field. But instead, this was a guy who got sacked nine times in his debut. They were just letting him roll back and get smoked every play. And Fields himself became more confident and more capable as a passer and just in terms of being comfortable and not taking terrible sacks as the season progressed. But what bums me out is that for whatever that progression was, it's ultimately going to be undercut by the fact that he has nobody to throw to. He has Darnell Mooney, who was his number one receiver last year, who essentially burst on the scene was really good. But I don't know if Darnell Mooney is a true star X receiver. If he's your number one guy, I think you may be in trouble. Um, beyond that, they have David Montgomery, who actually has matured into one of the better running backs in the league quietly over the last several years. And I'm high on Montgomery. But I look at that offensive line, Montgomery's going to be getting smoked behind the line of scrimmage, just how Justin Fields very likely will be as well. I can't have any confidence in this rushing attack, which I otherwise might, because usually with a quarterback with the sort of athleticism that Justin Fields has and, and that running ability, this guy's fast, man. You, you watch him play and you see that speed on the field. He has real football game speed. And when you see that from the quarterback position, usually it helps everyone in the run game. And that may still be the case, but I don't see how this team can possibly go over their projected win total of six and a half, given their complete lack of any defensive identity talent-wise and their complete inability and just failure to surround Justin Fields with any meaningful talent on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I think Fields will rely on Mooney, Montgomery, Cole Komet. I, I actually think Cole Komet will see a lot of red zone targets this year, so that's something to keep an eye on. But that's sort of all this team has, as far as I'm concerned. I'll talk briefly just about prop picks for this team because I don't want to waste any more time on them. But I love Justin Fields over three and a half rushing touchdowns this year. Somehow that's the line. It makes no sense to me. He had two rushing touchdowns as a rookie running on an offense that did absolutely nothing to showcase his abilities. He will absorb at least eight of... Andy Dalton's rushing attempts in the red zone from last year, and he projects to see at least 20 red zone rushes this year. So on these numbers, I find it hard to believe that he won't convert at least four rushing touchdowns, barring some sort of craziness. I'm also keen to bet David Montgomery's rushing total over whenever it comes out for the same reason. I think even though that offensive line's pathetic, Montgomery saw 43 rushing attempts in the red zone last year, more than four times the next guy on his team. And I think that this could be a situation where he's just put in a really positive situation near the red zone anytime they're there. Let's move on now to the Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings, who's out? Mike Zimmer, he can't be grouchy on the sidelines anymore because now he's grouchy at home. Anthony Barr, Tyler Conklin goes to the Jets. Michael Pierce, Xavier Woods, uh, who's coming in? Kevin O'Connell, first-year head coach, former offensive coordinator for the Rams. Zadarius Smith on the edge from the Packers. They steal an edge rusher. Jordan Hicks, uh, they bring in first-round safety. Lewis Kine, I don't know how to say his name. But whatever it is, they, they bring in another blue chipper from, from that Georgia defense, which we're seeing so much of in this preview, I guess. Everything went wrong for this team last year. They lost a lot of close games. The last two years, that's sort of been the story of the Vikings. Mike Zimmer hated Kirk Cousins. This was a team that, despite having some real freak show talent uh, on the offensive side of the ball, could not muster a top 10 offense. I, I think that the Clint Kubiak offense really didn't manifest itself in a way that the, the Vikings were hoping, certainly. With all the talent they have between Justin Jefferson, who's a transcendent superstar receiver, um, all the money they're paying her cousins, Dalvin Cook as one of the better running backs in the league, 
it's sort of ridiculous to, to look at this roster and not have them be in the top 10 offensively. When I'm looking at their, their projected win total this year, it's eight and a half wins. I can't help but look at this team and think, how are they not going to get better on offense, first of all? And next, how are they not going to go over this eight and a half win total? This is a team that has had everything go wrong for them the last couple of years. Barring some massive injury to Kirk Cousins or something, I don't see how Kevin O'Connell doesn't step into this room. I wasn't too keen going through his coaching history in an earlier episode about Kevin O'Connell in terms of what he might do to unlock Dalvin Cook, but I think he's going to turn this into a pass-first offense that really gets the most out of its playmakers on the outside, and they have a lot of playmakers. Even their their wide receiver three, K.J. Osborne, really revealed himself to be a, a competent player, a really useful uh, guy out of the slot. And between him, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, obviously, Alexander Madison is a backup running back. Irv Smith is coming back, their tight end who really shined as a rookie two years ago. I think Irv Smith, who's been mentioned a lot in Kevin O'Connell's sort of preseason pressers, is a guy who may stand to step into a meaningful role within this offense. Uh, Kevin O'Connell was in Washington before he was in Los Angeles. And if you look how Washington has used Jordan Reed over the last several years, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kevin O'Connell try to do something similar in getting Irv Smith high leverage looks. Uh, This is a guy who really showed a nose for the end zone at the end of 2020. I think people really forget what was going on with Irv Smith as a playmaker to end that season because the Vikings really weren't playing meaningful games by that point. They were getting smoked by the Saints on Christmas Day. But Irv Smith was getting open and and really look like a receiver tight end. So in looking at this team and looking at how their schedule is sort of shaking out this year, I can't help but think that this is a nine-win team at least. And I think there's a world in which they actually compete for the divisional title. If the Packers can't reproduce much of what they lost on the defensive and offensive sides of the ball in terms of talent, I would not be shocked to see the Vikings step in and sort of take control of that division and win that division. So now in terms of prop picks for this team, I'm pretty keen on Dalvin Cook under everything. I mentioned Kevin O'Connell. I mentioned going through his coaching history, sort of where he's been, sort of what lessons he may have taken from those stops. And what I keep coming away from is that Kevin O'Connell, everywhere he's been, they, they sort of leaned into this running back by committee approach, that this workhorse notion is sort of something that's a vestige of an an earlier time. And I think Kevin O'Connell is not going to be caught up in the fact that Dalvin Cook is a freak show talent. I think he's going to be smart enough to say, you're right, Dalvin Cook is a superstar. He's paid like a superstar. But we need to keep him healthy. We need to keep him healthy for a playoff run. So that may involve getting Alexander Madison five to ten touches a game and lightening that workload that Dalvin has received. And I just don't know that Dalvin Cook can, can go over 1,500 rushing and receiving yards without that workload. Um, what I am keen on is I think that Kevin O'Connell is going to make much better use of Dalvin as a receiver than Dalvin was used the past couple of years. So I, I think that could actually be the risk to this, this bet. So I'm looking at two bets right now. I'm looking at Dalvin Cook under 15.5 rushing and receiving yards and Dalvin Cook under 1,150 rushing yards. As I said before, I think this is going to be a pass-first team. I think Justin Jefferson stands to gain the most from this. But but I think that I'd be most keen on betting Dalvin Cook under uh, 1,150 rushing yards, um, where I'll probably sprinkle a little bit under that 1,500 rushing and receiving yards as well just to sort of cover my bases. But I fear that there's a world in which Dalvin Cook 
emerges as quite the receiver out of the backfield, and all of a sudden that 1,500 number may, may be at risk. My final prop bet that I'll talk about in terms of this NFC North division is Justin Jefferson. Over eight and a half receiving touchdowns. Kevin O'Connell came here for a reason. They bring him in to bring that Rams touch, and they want him to run McVeigh shit. And McVeigh shit is using your superstar receiver, putting him in advantageous positions uh, by motion, by putting him in the slot. I expect Justin Jefferson, if he's healthy, to slam over this eight and a half receiving touchdown total. And obviously, we can't predict injuries, but I don't see a world in which this guy is on the field for. 15 to 17 games, and he's not going over eight and a half touchdowns because I just feel like they're going to be pursuing that Cooper Cup level of domination with Justin Jefferson and, and creating mismatches in the secondary. So this sort of wraps up our NFC North preview. Uh, just to run through it really quickly, I have the Packers going. I don't really have a take on their 11 win total, but if it gets up to 11 and a half, I'm taking the under. Uh, I have the Vikings going over their projected win total of eight and a half wins. Um, I have the Vikings maybe sprinkle something on them to win the division. Uh, I have the Lions going over their projected six and a half win total. And I have the Bears going under their projected six and a half win total. So all in all, I think my favorite bet in terms of divisional winner might be for the Vikings to win the division. Uh, but I think that's your, your best bet in terms of getting some value here uh, because even though the Packers are likely minus money and, and I don't trust them as much as I do taking a gamble on the Vikings here. So thanks as always to you for listening. I will be back next week uh, with another divisional preview. Maybe I'll have a guest. We shall see. Um, but until then, I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye now. 